We can't find my head mic, so I'm going to preach from the pulpit mic today. But Matthew 28, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you, or you might have it on your phone. If you don't have that, then you'll see the words on a screen in just a few moments. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Uh, next week, we begin a new series in Philippians. I hope you will join us. hope you get the word out. Invite somebody to join us for this new series in Philippians that begins next week because we are wrapping up community better together today. Uh, we have seen in this series the importance of community and how we are better together, how we are to meet together and not just meet together in location in a building, but how we are to truly hearts and minds draw near to one another in a vulnerable kind of way, in an intimate kind of way, draw near to one another, and then how we are to heal together, fight together, and as we saw last week, grow together. But as we finish this series, I want us to see our need, our calling, the commission to go together. Noah, our oldest, eight years old, um, he is into Legos. If you want to get technical, he's into Lego. Uh, But he is into Legos, specifically Lego castles and Lego knights. Castles and knights made out of little toy Legos. Well, when I was about his age, me and my brother had a Lego castle that looked like this. It was super awesome. It had the drawbridge and everything. It had the knights and the horses, and it was a super awesome Lego castle um, that came out in the 90s. And we found out recently in the last couple of years that my mom actually kept this Lego castle in a bucket in her shed for all these years. I guess in hopes of one day that our grandchildren would be able to play with it, and sure enough, they have. But recently, we found this out, and we were able to take possession of that bucket and bring it home. And when we did, both myself and Noah were super excited about taking the lid off of that bucket and seeing this magnificent, beautiful Lego castle. What I didn't know is that in this bucket were Lego bricks and pieces from other Lego models, like pirate ships, boats, regular Lego bricks and parts, and all of it was broken apart into little, tiny, individual pieces, and it looked nothing like this. It actually looked more like this. (laughs) And we did not have the instructions We did not have the instructions. So what we did was we peeled that thing off. I had a panic attack, and then we began to, okay, calm down. Let's dump out half the Legos onto the ground here. I found the instructions online, and little by little, Noah and myself were on our hands and knees, and we began putting that castle together, sifting through this colorful mess of Legos, trying to find lost pieces. Jesus is in the business of sifting through the colorful mess of humanity to find not lost pieces, but lost people. Jesus said it was the sick who needed a doctor. He said that he had come to seek and to save the lost, those who were hopeless, helpless, and harassed, like sheep without a shepherd, those who were hungry and thirsty, those who were cold and broken, dirty, messy, Sinners. 
And there are many in our world, many, many, many in our world and in our culture and in our community who are part of this great harvest that Jesus talked about. Those who are lost. And Jesus is in the business of sifting through the colorful mess of humanity to find lost people. Why? Because he loves us. Because he desires to see lost sinners saved. Paul told this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. He said, listen, God our Savior, the one who saved us, God our Savior desires all people, all nations, all people, regardless of the aisle, regardless of the line, all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth who Jesus is, and our need for Jesus. Peter said it this way. He said, listen, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of coming back again. This is the context he writes this. He's not slow to fulfill his promise, but he is patient towards us because he doesn't wish that any person should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This goes back all the way to the book of Ezekiel. Where the Lord said, listen, I take absolutely no pleasure in the death of the wicked. What I desire is that the wicked would turn from his way and live. They're talking about you and me, by the way, too. God desires to see lost sinners saved. Jesus is in the business of leaving the 99 for the one. To seek and to save that which is lost. He's like a woman searching her home for a lost coin. He's like a father waiting on the porch for his son just to come home again. Or he's like a father and a son on their hands and knees sifting through a colorful mess of Legos just to find lost pieces. He takes no pleasure in the wicked dying without having come to a knowledge of the truth. Of who Jesus is and our need for Jesus. He desires people to be saved. And under the new covenant in his blood, he has commissioned his people, his followers, you and me, to be about his business. As Henry Martin said, listen, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to Jesus, the more intensely missionary we become. Where Leslie Newbigin says it this way, we cannot be silent when such a tremendous message, the person, the life, the ministry, the death and burial resurrection of Jesus has been entrusted to us. We have to tell the world. We have to tell the world. So again, in this series, we've seen the importance of community, how we are better together. Today, we're going to see that we are commissioned to grow or to go Together, So look at Matthew 28, verse 16. These are the last words we read in Matthew's gospel. And this is what he writes. Then the eleven, remember there was twelve, but Judas, we know what happened to him. So the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17, and when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So then Jesus came to them and said, all authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in or into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything or all things I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I love a good speech. Like an inspirational heart-moving kind of speech, right? I I love a sports speech, maybe a halftime speech, maybe a speech getting ready for the big game or something, a political speech, just an inspirational speech. I love a good speech, and I've heard some great speeches in great movies. Um, For example, Independence Day. Some of you have seen this movie. Um, It came out many, many years ago, starring Will Smith and Bill Pullman. The movie is about visitors from outer space who have come to destroy the world, and humanity must come together and fight this enemy and fight back. Well, there's a scene in the movie where it's the 4th of July. It's Independence Day, and not just the United States, but the whole world is on the verge of collapse, being attacked by this foreign enemy, and humanity must pull together and fight. So the President of the United States, played by Bill Pullman, is at the airport in front of all of these pilots who are about to fly up and fight the enemy. And this is his speech. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you'll be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind. That word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July, Independence Day, and you will once again be fighting for our freedom, not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win today, the 4th of July will no longer be known just as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today we celebrate our Independence Day. And I'm telling you, you get the thematic music going in this, like, this kind of speech and everything. And I'm telling you, it is a great, great speech that makes you just want to hop into the plane and just go fight some foreign alien. I love a great speech. But this one, recorded in Matthew 28, is unlike any other. It's special, it's unique, it's brilliant. It's a command It's a calling, it's a commissioning to a specific people to go forth into the world, into the culture, into the community as the city on a hill, as the light in the darkness, the salt of the earth, as followers of the living God to do what? To make disciples. So what does that mean? Well, as one person said, it means to make people what you already are. Followers of Jesus. But just picture this for a moment. Because you have to picture the location of where Jesus is giving this speech. 
If you go all the way back to Matthew 26, Jesus was with the disciples in the upper room. And he instituted a new covenant in his blood. And they partake of the Lord's Supper, the cup and the bread together. We're going to do that next week, actually. Then afterwards, there's a lot that goes on in the upper room, a lot of things that are said. But eventually they sing a hymn after that. And then they go out to the Mount of Olives, just right outside Jerusalem. And Jesus said there that after he is raised up, meaning I'm about to be betrayed. I've already told you this. I'm about to be brutally treated and horrifically killed. However, after I am raised up, after I come back from the dead, I will go before you to Galilee. And it's implied, especially after reading these verses in the end of Matthew 28, that Jesus told them a specific location in Galilee, this mountain that we read about in chapter 28. So after Jesus' death and resurrection, the women go to the tomb. In the early parts of Matthew 28, we see that the angel tells the women, listen, Jesus is risen from the dead, and he's going before you to Galilee. That place where he told you he would meet you at before all these things transpired. And there you'll see him. A few verses later, Jesus tells them, hey, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, the place that I told you to meet me. And there they will see me. So now here we get to Matthew 28, verse 16. And the eleven went to Galilee. Now many, many scholars believe that although the eleven are highlighted... There's most likely other followers with them. Either way, Jesus is addressing the 11 specifically, but he's really addressing his whole people. Now the question is, is where in Galilee is this mountain that they gathered? Well, most people believe it's this mountain called Mount Arbel. You can see it here in the picture. That high peak right there in the picture. Now, from this viewpoint of Mount Arbel, we are sitting on the Sea of Galilee looking at Mount Arbel. Another view is this one, actually on Mount Arbel. And right there you can see in the distance is the Sea of Galilee, and then to the left there is the land. This is the land of Galilee. And if this is the mountain where Jesus is meeting them on, it's huge. Because it's the tallest mountain in the area and provides a great view of the Sea of Galilee on the east and the land of Galilee on the west. So imagine just standing there and you're overlooking the landscape of the Sea of Galilee and the land of Galilee. Now, if you don't know the geography of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a huge chunk of it, the miracles, the teachings, the conversations, the trips, a huge chunk of it either happens on the Sea of Galilee or around it, or in the land of Galilee. Not everything, but a huge chunk of it. So as one of the 11 disciples there, one of his close followers, it's a landscape, the sea and the land, that holds and reveals so much personally to you about the life and ministry and continued work of Jesus. Far off in the West, you can see, man, this is where he grew up. This is where he was born. This is where it all began. You can remember the, the crowds and the conversations, all the miracles, the trips, the teaching and the training just in this massive area. 
So just imagine you're a disciple there on that spot, and for three years you're looking around yourself, and for three years you spent with Jesus on that sea in the east or on that land in the west. As one of the eleven, it's a sea and a land where God incarnate, God in human form, came and searched and found you. You who were lost. And he called you. And he discipled you on that sea in the east and on that land in the west. And now he's about to commission you. So you're standing there on this spot. You see the Sea of Galilee. You see the land of Galilee. You're maybe there for minutes, maybe hours. We don't know. And then Jesus arrives. And Matthew says that they worshipped, but some doubted. Now, the word that he uses here means some hesitated. It's the same word that Matthew would use to describe himself when he took his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink on the water. Jesus would ask him why he doubted. Why did he hesitate? Why weren't you all in? One commentator said, listen, the word that he's using here is not referring to intellectual disbelief. They just didn't believe. It's more of a heart hesitation. And put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Jesus was publicly hung on a tree. So now here they are before the risen Jesus, his body raised imperishable with immortality. Not a ghost, not a dream, not a hallucination, a physical person right before them. As N.T. Wright said, listen, the risen Jesus both was and was not the same as he had been before. There was a mystery about him which even those who knew him best were now unable to penetrate. As John and John's gospel said, man, they wanted to ask, Lord, is it you? But none of them dared ask the question. So they worshipped, but some hesitated, and you can understand why. But Jesus shows up and he says, listen, okay, look around you. Behold the sea. Behold the land. Soak it all in. Know that, yes, I have died. But as I told you on the Mount of Olives just days ago, that I would meet you right here in this space and place in such a time as this, to reveal and to announce to you and to the spiritual and physical realms that I have risen from the dead. And for those who follow me as their Lord and Savior, death ends today. Therefore, believe. Therefore, know with certainty and assurance that all authority in the spiritual world and in the physical world. All authority has been given to me. Not will be, has been given to me. It belongs to me now as we stand and speak. One commentator elaborates on this and says, listen, it's not Jesus' authority per se that becomes more absolute after his resurrection. He clearly already had authority over the spiritual and the physical before his his death. But rather, after his resurrection, the spheres in which he now exercises absolute authority are enlarged to include all the heaven and all earth, that is the universe. This authority has been given him by the Father. The Son becomes the one through whom all God's authority is mediated. He is, as it were, the mediatorial king. 
This well-defined exercise of authority has given Jesus as the climactic vindication of his humiliation, especially on the cross, as we'll see in Philippians. And it marks a turning point in redemptive history. For Messiah's kingdom has dawned in new power. So all authority and power in every space and place, spiritual and physical, belongs to the risen Jesus. And it's in that authority and power that he commissions you and I to make disciples. Here we read that he sends us out in his authority. In Acts 1.8, we see or read that he sends us out in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is God himself. In authority and power, he commissions us. So the new covenant has been implemented. Now it's time for the new commission to be established, meaning us, God's people. Us, God's church. Us, God's body and bride, God's community. Now it's our turn. Look around you, behold the sea of Galilee, behold the land of Galilee, behold the seas and the lands. Just as Jesus was sent into the world, the culture and the community, just as Jesus came to seek and to save, to move and to act, to speak and to teach throughout this area and land, so now it's our turn to be sent out as a new creation in Christ, as a new humanity, as a new people, to now make disciples. It's interesting in this whole speech, that's the only command he gives. It's the only imperative. Make disciples. All the other what appear in the English as commands are only supportive words to support the ultimate command, make disciples. We are now in all fields and endeavors and skills to be about his business. Seeking to make others what we ourselves are, followers of Jesus. We're to go east, we're to go west, we're to go north, we're to go south, we're to go to the sea, we're to go to the land, we're to search for the lost, we're to inject and plant ourselves into every space and place. Us, the city on a hill, the light in the darkness, the salt of the earth, we are to go forth into the world, to the culture, to the community, and make disciples. Make others what we ourselves are, followers of Jesus. But how do we do this? Again, he gives us supporting words to describe this process of making disciples. And the first thing he says is, go. you got to go. Going requires leaving something. You go over there. You go here. You go there. You go from point A to point B. To go to point B, you have to leave point A. Go from your house to your neighbor's house. Go from your office desk to your coworker's desk. Go from your classroom to the hallway. Go from your living room to the kitchen. Go from your city to that city. Your state to that state. Your nation to that nation. Go. Don't sit idly. Go. And he's not just addressing these individuals. He's addressing his church. We are to go together as a group, as a community. Go together and make disciples. The second thing he in essence says is lead them to Jesus. Lead the nations 
Lead the lost. Lead people to Jesus, which requires speaking Jesus. He's not saying lead them to a political position, though that might be a result. He's not saying lead them to a denomination, though that might be a result. He's not saying lead them to a specific building, though that might be a result. Lead them to Jesus, which requires speaking Jesus. Lead them to Jesus. Why? So that they might repent and be baptized. Literally, the word that he uses here is into, into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Literally saying so that they might repent and be baptized into the community of the Trinity. Into, as one person says, suggests a coming into relationship with and a coming under the lordship of. Lead them into the community of the Trinity just as you and I are members of the community of the Trinity. We are his sons and daughters. Jesus refers to us as his brothers and sisters, don't you know? He and us, us and him, just as the Father is in him and he and the Father. These are Jesus' words. So lead them to Jesus that they might repent, so that the wicked might turn from their way and live, that they might be baptized into or in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he says, then teach and train them. Teach them to obey. Which means to teach and train them to live fully the way of Jesus under the lordship of Jesus. In other words, look around you on the sea. Around the Sea of Galilee, look out to the west. All that I've taught you, all that I've trained you to do and to be, you now go and do likewise with others. Notice in his brilliant speech the use of the word all. All authority. All nations. This word that he uses for everything is literally all things. Teach and train them to live fully the way of Jesus under the lordship of Jesus. So go together. Lead the nations to Jesus, that they might repent and be baptized into the Trinity. Teach and train them to now live fully the way of Jesus under the lordship of Jesus. Or in other words, make disciples. Which you yourselves are, followers of Jesus. And remember, as you go out into every space and place, some very dark, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation, he reminds us, remember, I am with you. As this community goes together into the world, the culture, the community to make disciples of all nations, he is with you. He is with you. Emmanuel, God with us, doesn't depart us. He is with you. So go together and make disciples. And you might ask yourself, well, why? Why should we? Why should we leave Mount Arbel and then go out into the world? Well, just think about the mess of the world. Some of you have seen things over just the last few days that have traumatized your heart and mind. 
Think about the mess of the nations. Think about the mess of our own culture. From leadership on down. Think about the messes right here in our own community. Right in your own neighborhood. Maybe even your own house. So many, 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 many people who are sick. Mentally, emotionally, physically, and especially spiritually. They need a doctor. We just happen to know who that doctor is. So many, many, many who are hopeless, helpless, harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Hungry, thirsty, cold, broken, dirty, messy sinners. Lost. Just as you and I were when Christ found us. And Jesus is commissioning us to be about his business. Full of love and compassion and passion to go. Just as he came. To go together, to get on our hands and knees, if you will, and sift through the colorful mess of humanity to reach lost people. We cannot be silent when such a tremendous message has been entrusted to us. We have to tell the world. Jesus died, yet he lives. Death has been defeated. So repent and believe. So let us go together and tell the world, the culture, the community, our families, our co-workers, our neighbors, our friends. Let us go together and make disciples. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. And as you bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm going to A couple questions that I want you to ponder on and think about. Do you desire people to be saved? All of us would say, I'm sure, hopefully, amen. Then let me ask you this Do you pray for the lost to be saved? As somebody said, if God answered all your prayers this past month, this past week, this past day, he said yes to all of them, would there be any new believers because of your prayers? Do you pray for the lost to be saved? You say yes, absolutely. Then let me ask you this. Do you talk to the lost about Jesus? No, his name. Do you talk to them about Jesus? I'm not talking about a denomination or a church building. I'm talking about do you talk to them about Jesus? We are the city, the light, the salt. We are the church, the people, the body, the new humanity, born of God, not of the flesh. We are the commissioned ones. So let us desire for the lost to be saved. Let us... Pray for the lost to be saved. Let us talk to the lost about 
Jesus. Let us go and make disciples of all nations. And maybe, even before I pray, maybe you're sitting there thinking, man, Jesus is calling me by name to surrender, to repent and believe, to give my life to him as Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, man, don't wait. Let today be the day of your salvation. Repent and believe that you might be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come to him. Even as I pray, you can come. Father, we thank you, we love you. Yet while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. By this we know what love is. That Jesus laid down his life for us. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, your passion, your desire. May we, your people, have the same love, mercy, grace, passion, and desire. May we collectively together obey this commissioning to make disciples, to go, to lead them to Jesus, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that you've commanded. And if there's somebody in here today who needs Jesus, may they repent to believe and go from death to life, darkness to light, non-child to son or daughter. In Christ's name I pray. As they sing, you guys stand with us. We'll be down here.